0: You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Austin Lewis, who is using Django and Python to create an order management system that he's using for a small business. Austin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, glad to be here, Nick. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, no problem. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about what you've built?
1: Yeah, so I am by trade a real estate appraiser right now, and the project I built is really to manage the orders we have and our order flow for our appraisal office. And, um, that is really, you know, the sole focus of my project has kind of been expanded to handle some accounts receivable and some other features that we needed added in, but that is what I've been working on lately. That's, that's kind of, uh, my main project.
0: Okay. So would you classify this app as some type of like, like a CRM that's very specific to your business or like a CRUD style app sort of?
1: Yeah, it definitely has a lot of crud features in it. Um, Basically, what we were using before was a lot of Excel spreadsheets, and it was just, you know, the old way of doing things. So we would have our orders that would come in, and, you know, if you've had any type of office that handles orders, it can be kind of hectic trying to keep up with all what's to do, what you need to be doing, what's done, and what's in the process of, you know, you're trying to get paid for, it, and all that stuff. Previously, we would have one big Excel spreadsheet, and it would handle all the order fees and what date they were created and what date they were completed. And for real estate and appraisal, you know, finding out what date the property was inspected was a big thing that we'd have to go in there and manually add in. And it was just a lot of work that can be consolidated and, you know, put into one place. And which is why we set about building this application in the first place. So, Like I said previously we would have to go in and specifically add dates and add what date we were paid for an order and you know that kind of that kind of workflow. But now uh with this app, it basically we'll just go in and create the order in the app and it all works through um we basically display the orders as bootstrap cards and I have our office is structured in a way that we have a supervisor uh, appraiser, and then we have three appraisers under the supervisor, including me. And so the supervisor will go in and create an order, and then assign the order to one of the three appraisers under him, and can monitor it. We'll have the orders played as cards, and he can see the status that the order is in. Uh, we have about three or four different stages that the orders could be in, whether that be active inspected, in review, or completed and awaiting payment. So that's basically, I guess, a very broad overview of how it works.
0: Okay. Yeah, isn't it glorious when you can upgrade from an Excel sheet to like a custom app that you've written?
1: It is the most glorious, <laughs> the most glorious thing. Uh, I swear, it's, it's sped up our workflow so much. We're getting stuff done a, you know, a ton faster and really just... Is allowing us a lot more control and um, a good way to supervise, you know, what's happening real time in our business, rather than having to take time out and sit through and sift through a spreadsheet and manually update, um, update these, you know, orders that way. And we're losing a lot of time and losing a lot of accuracy. I felt like doing that.
0: Yep. So just to get some perspective on this, like how many real estate orders are are going through the system on a daily or weekly basis?
1: Okay. So weekly, I'd say at least eight to 10 orders a week. And it's just been launched within the past about a month or so. And so I'd say we've probably, the system has probably processed about 300 orders, maybe total since launch. So it's handling a, it's handling all our office management right now. Every order we get is going through it. So it's it's quickly, you know, it's building up in volume.
0: Yeah, that's cool to hear. Yeah, because when you said you're using this for like a small real estate business, I, I kind of figured like, well, you know, maybe you're selling like a house or two a year or something like that.
1: Yeah. What, well, yeah, appraisal, you know, we will go and inspect all the, you know, whenever you sell a house, we kind of have to come through and do a check to see everything's in good order before the bank will approve a loan on it. So that's kind of our function. Yeah, so it's, it's been a great help for us, you know, keeping, keeping track of everything we have out there. And like I said, anything you can improve over an Excel spreadsheet is, is great.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you are the business owner and also the sole developer on this project, or do you have someone else working on it?
1: Uh, No, it's kind of been my my baby here for about a year or so. Um, When I was in college, I graduated uh, from Mississippi State University two years ago, and I kind of picked up. I got a degree in finance, but uh, through kind of my later studies, uh, kind of picked up some programming courses, and I'd had a lot of experience with. Uh, the R programming language, and then a couple Python courses just really dealing with data science. And so having that experience with Python, I knew that um, I liked the language and I knew it had, you know, a lot of applications. And I thought, you know, if I could build something using a Python web framework, you know, I think it could be pretty powerful and it would, you know, handle everything we needed for allowing... You know, for a distributed system that everybody can just kind of log into and rather than, yeah, spreadsheets that are kind of localized to your machine.
0: Yeah, that's totally a good point to think about, right? It's like if you have this one spreadsheet on a local machine before people are using it, it's like unless you're using like Google Docs or something like a collaborative tool then yeah, very easily can get out of sync.
1: Very easily get out of sync. And, you know, it was just kind of hard to keep up with. So I began looking at web frameworks with uh, Python. And, you know, I think the two big names are Flask and Django. And just reading up on Django, it seemed like a lot of stuff that was coming out of the box would help me get started faster. You know, um, as far as handling all the authentication and, that kind of stuff. I knew that would be a great help in the beginning and allow me to just kind of start creating rather than have to worry about some of those backend functions. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of my decision-making and choosing Django. And I've been very pleased with it. I think it's a great, a great framework.
0: Yeah, very nice to hear. So are you taking advantage of Django's admin as well or no?
1: Oh, yes, yes. So um, as far as the user model, I left kind of everything... The user model, the default user model handles basically everything I need. Um, I expanded some of it to deal with, you know, kind of the unique features we need to have as appraisers. Like I said earlier, how we're structured to where we have one supervisor in the office and then three appraisers under him. I allowed for, you know, extension off the user model to signify that one user might be a supervisor and the remaining might be appraisers and kind of change permissions that way, but yeah it's it's handling everything pretty well in the admin,
0: nice, so yeah, I've actually never used the Django admin before because I really don't work with Django too much, but when it comes to something like separating a supervisor from a regular appraiser, do they do they then have like different permissions in the admin itself?
1: yeah, well, uh basically, the main permission differences is is okay, so say I'm the supervisor and I need to assign an order to somebody as a supervisor. I'm not going to have the same control over that order as the appraiser is going to need to have. Like I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be the one marking it as inspected or, you know, all the orders we send through as appraisers have to be reviewed by the supervisor. So we'll send it in, uh, you know, just a simple button sends it in for review And then the supervisors can go in there and add revisions and schedule them to us so that we can go and make them, you know, correct items that need to be completed. So a lot of the permission stuff just falls in who has control over what aspects of the order um, and who can create the order. Supervisors right now are solely responsible for creating and assigning orders. They can assign orders to themselves and then they're the appraiser and then, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds permission wise.
0: Okay. And now, when it comes to the application itself, is this one single monolithic app, or do you have it broken up into microservices, or maybe even are you using Django apps?
1: Uh, no, it's definitely a monolithic structure right now. Uh, looking back on it, you know, being this was my first you know web application I'd really designed, there's probably a million things <laughs> in hindsight that I would like to you know kind of separate out or, or tweak. But for the most part, it's really just you know an order thing, an order management app. So you know, basically all the functionality is you know in that in the single order app. Uh, it also tracks our um, experience uh, as appraisers. You have to get so many experience hours before you can become licensed. So tracking your experience and the orders you've completed is a huge part of our industry. And so that, looking back on it, I could have definitely separated out the experience from the order you know, management aspect of it. But right now, yes, it's it's definitely a monolithic structure.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like most of the apps I build are are monolithic too, because it's like, well, you know, if you're working by yourself, solo developer or a very small team, totally makes sense to keep it that way. You know, if you had like, you know, if you're Google with like, you know, 20,000 developers working on 20 million different things, and sure, yeah, maybe splitting it out early is a good move. But going back to what you said about maybe you could have, Split out the other component of the app. Uh, do do you use Django apps at all internally in this monolith or no?
1: No, not really. Uh, just you know, a single Django app. These, you know, that's really it. You know, just create my project and put in the order. The order app is a single Django app. and just took it from there.
0: So when it comes to the app itself, maybe do you want to maybe rattle off a couple of models that you might have?
1: Yeah. So like I said, the main one is the order model and that is just going to be comprised of, you know, obviously the property address, um, all the kind of geographic information tied to it. But then there's a lot of, uh, fields that, you know, relate to the status that it's in, like, you know, just a bunch of Boolean fields, whether it's been inspected, whether we've been paid for it. And then a lot of the, um, the accounting type field such as, you know, the order fee and then the fee split also. So as a supervisor, you're getting a split of each order that you assign. When I assign an order to an appraiser, they might get 60% of the order fee. So all that information has to be, you know, kept up in the model and, and all that. And then um also we've got a, like I you know, touched on earlier, the experience log model. And that's pretty basic. Uh, there's a, a standardized form we have to have that uh, logs all of our experience. And what I just tried to do with that is basically, um, it's basically a list of about 15 different items that you would complete as a part of a real estate appraisal. And so I just tried to model that that form as best as I could reflected in a Django model so that we could just go through there and check off what task we created. And then it'll auto fill from the orders, geographic information. So it just kind of all ties back in together. Also, um, I think the only other big field that I can think of off the top of my head is all our orders previously, um, As far as getting paid for it, like I said, we had an Excel spreadsheet and we would go through there and um, calculate which orders that had been paid by the client. We would go through there and have to select each and then find the summary of those, write a check, and then, you know, print off that spreadsheet, which was not the most efficient way of doing things. And so now we have an invoice model which is basically just a file field. And so when, you know, we have one status showing all our complete orders, a bunch of cards, like I said, the orders are all displayed as cards and you can just go through there and select each order. It'll highlight them. They're all bootstrap cards. And then, um, it'll create an invoice for those orders. And then, um, it, it displays the invoice or returns the invoice as a PDF. And it, uh, just got all the summaries of, you know, each payment for those orders and then we can just go ahead and pay the appraisers with those uh PDFs. We have all we have all the summary, what they need to be paid for, the amount and everything. And it'll save the it's saving the uh PDF to an S three bucket.
0: Okay. So do you remember which library you used to create that PDF?
1: Yes, it was uh I believe PDF Gen. Um just a little Python library for creating PDFs. Kinda hard to wrestle with at first. It's uh it's a unique interface, I guess, unique API. But once you uh it's super powerful once you kinda get your your head around it. So yeah, it's PDF Gen.
0: So is there anything built into Django or maybe a popular third party library that lets you upload files to S3?
1: Yes, Django storage is great library i gotta say uh it everything we're doing right now is through aws and so just having that to you know tie an s3 bucket to our servers has been great you know they're so flexible and whatever information you need to be stored you know storing in them it'll it'll hold and um right now there's like i said it's serving all our static files out of there and then all our pdfs are being you know stored in there so we'll have a a good record of uh, them.
0: Nice. So it kind of sounds like this is maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like a small scale application, like it's running on maybe one EC2 instance on AWS? Yeah,
1: yeah, right now it is. It's all, um, actually I have two. I could definitely consolidate into one though. I've got one for a staging environment. And whenever I got to deploy this thing, I took, uh, I'd say baby steps is a pretty accurate description. I would just get, you know, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't breaking anything with my changes because, you know, this is the first app I've ever deployed. And so my structure right now is I would just develop locally, push the changes to a staging branch in my GitHub repo, and then I would SSH into my staging server, pull those down, look at it, you know, that way, because it's basically a clone of my production You know, my staging is just a separate EC2 and then repeat the same step for production. But yeah, it's all running on two EC2 servers, but basically, I guess, like you say, it's running on one production-wise.
0: Okay. And like the only reason I brought that up so early on is because uh, it's kind of cool. Like you had the foresight to upload your files and even serve your static assets from S3 instead of just doing it directly from the server itself. Like what made you do that right away?
1: (laughs) Honestly, it it was just reading up on it, and I see so many places saying you do not want to serve static through your server in production. So I said, "You know what? I'm not going to serve static through my server in production." And I was like, "Well, where else could I serve it?" And then you know, seeing where some people use S3 for that, and I was like, "Well, you know, I can easily just add an S3 bucket in my virtual private cloud with AWS. so that's kind of what spurred that decision. But it works great. I have no complaints with it at all.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely dive deeper into the AWS setup. But for now, let's rewind a little bit to the application itself. Are you just using, like, Django templates and sprinkles of JavaScript? Or is this, like, an API backend or something else?
1: Yeah. Now, I love Django template engine. It's great. And I think it was probably the best thing I could have gotten started out with. I mean... You look at some of these frameworks, like, you know, I could have used Django REST framework and a React front end, and I think that would be better for some of the stuff, looking back on it. But like I said, hindsight's kind of twenty twenty with this thing. But yeah, it works great so far. I have some JavaScript sprinkled in, mainly with, like I said, the order selection. Like, you know, whenever we get ready to pay an order, it's just a bunch of bootstrap cards. And Django template, that's basically my whole front end is just bootstrap and Django templates. And so I just had to incorporate some JavaScript to give them a little bit more, you know, function that we could interact with them and highlight and all that. But yeah, this is basically it, bootstrap and Django template.
0: Right. And is that uh, bootstrap 4 then?
1: Yes, bootstrap 4.
0: And I guess for the JavaScript, a little bit of jQuery here and there
1: maybe? I love jQuery. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, no problems there. I mean, it's a really good go-to library, you know, when you don't need that full-blown JavaScript front-end with, like, React or or Vue.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely next on my to-do list is learn more about those front-end frameworks. I can see where they have a lot of advantages.
0: Right. Have you ever heard the term yak shaving?
1: (laughs) No, I have not.
0: Okay, well, the TLDR is, like, you know, one of those things where it's, like, you've got something working now, but then it's, like, well you know, there's unlimited choice on what you can do at this point, right? You can continue doing what you're doing now, or instead of accomplishing your goal of like fleshing out the order management system, you can go off on like the deepest rabbit hole in the world and and look at doing, you know, like rewriting the app as uh, an API backend with a React front end. And like, you're gonna hit all these like bumps along the way and it'll be like four months down the line. And like, you haven't written one feature against your app because you're still stuck, like trying to convert it. It's basically it's like spinning your wheels, looking at other things and not accomplishing what you want.
1: <laughs> yes, that's, I, hey, I completely understand. I understand that for sure. I feel like I've done that this whole week with uh, like CI and CD pipelines.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's basically a description of like the last 10 years of my life almost.
1: <laughs> it's, like, it's very attractive. Oh, yeah, you got to find something shiny. And, you know, how can I use this basically?
0: Exactly. So speaking of other things you might be using here, do you want to go over maybe some other components of your tech stack, like which database do you use? Are you using like Redis and Celery or anything?
1: I do not have any Redis in my app right now. I don't know if that's a bad thing or what, or I just have not had a use for it. I understand it in concept, but I've not gotten into Redis as of this point. Um, Basically, my database is just, I'm running a Postgres right now It's handling all you know, all our order information and everything and that's just run on Amazon's RDS, you know, service so it ties in with all my EC twos and everything like that. So a pretty simple tech stack right now. Um everything's running with Docker Compose and I say everything and it's really just my database and uh and my Django.
0: Right. Well in production though if you're using RDS to serve the database then. Are you just running your database with Docker Compose in development only? Like you have a different Compose setup for both of them?
1: Yes, yes. I've got three Compose files, one for for dev, you know, local machine, and then one for staging and production.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's a pretty common setup.
1: Yeah, and then you're right. So like in development, I'm just using um, a local database right now, spinning it up with Docker Compose. And then for staging, I've got a clone of my production a pretty close call of my production.
0: Right, yeah, I kind of hate to give like tips on the podcast because it's not like I'm trying to like analyze your setup, but have you ever heard of the one feature from Docker Compose called the override file? Yes. Yeah, that is a pretty sweet thing because like, and it's a really important one for this uh, discussion here because it can make it so that you can transform those three Docker Compose files into one Docker Compose file. And then you use like, this override file just to spin up your database in development, but not the others. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. I basically have two override files, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, um, but I could definitely see what you're saying. Like, I could compose those two into one because my staging and production are basically the equivalent with the exception of a one environment file that I switch up some of the environment variables on.
0: Okay. So you have the Django app. Is this running G-Unicorn or UWSGI or something else?
1: Traffic. I love traffic. It's the best that I've found so far. It's um, it's written with Go, but they provide... I originally tried using... Well, I am using um, Unicorn to interface with traffic, basically. Like, it starts all the workers and everything. But then traffic handles all of my routing for my app. And um, I don't know, are you familiar with that as a service?
0: Yeah, so like the idea is, I guess you have G Unicorn that runs your actual Django app, like the Python app, and then traffic is sitting in front of that, handling things like SSL and like making sure to connect to a G Unicorn.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So much easier than trying to set up Nginx and I.
0: Right. So is that something you tried to do? Like you tried to do Nginx and it was like, uh, so much config?
1: So much config, and I didn't. Ha- I feel like I didn't have the feedback I needed to be like, "Am I doing this right?" And then, like, once I kind of got it up and running, then I would have to, you know, get my certificates through Let's Encrypt, and that was a whole nother situation. That was like having to, you know, hack in some stuff to where it would automatically renew, or at least in my experience, I didn't find a just a straightforward way to do um, get my HTTPS running. Whereas traffic is like two lines of code in my Docker Compose and all my traffic, I mean, all my web certificates automatically renew and I've never had a problem with it at all. And their traffic provides a great front end to where you can go and see exactly how all your routings go and what middleware you have running to which service and where all your endpoints are going and all that stuff. So I'm so pleased with it.
0: Right, and when you say front-end, you mean like a web a web page that they have set up? Yeah,
1: just a simple dashboard, yes.
0: Yeah, that is one thing I do like about traffic. Well, the two things, that that web dashboard and the easy HTTPS.
1: Oh, it's so easy. It's great. Um,
0: yeah, although if you want to pony up some cash, you can always go the AWS route, put a load balancer in front of the app, and then it handles HTTPS for you, like one level above where you need to even think about it.
1: Yeah, load balancers, I can say where, you know, I definitely need to become more acquainted with them. I see they're a huge part of, uh, you know, development and deployment, everything. But like I said, I'm a pretty much a, a, an amateur when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So I haven't touched all the bases.
0: Right. Well, I think anyone, honestly, on AWS is sort of kind of like amateur status. I mean, even with the years of experience, you can only barely scratch the surface of it. I don't know how many services they have. There's like over a hundred. There's so many things to
1: learn. Oh, it really is. But it's so powerful, too. Like, so much stuff I'm ready to learn, honestly.
0: Okay. So maybe now we can transition maybe a little bit into, like, okay, so you mentioned you have the EC2 instance. Then you have your database with RDS. Then you have an S3 bucket going for your static files and user uploads. Are you using anything else on the AWS platform?
1: Uh, No, honestly. Other than all my domain and stuff going through Route 53. Other than that, that's about my only Amazon.
0: That's cool. So you, did you end up buying your domain through there or they're just hosting your DNS records?
1: Yeah, no, I bought my domain through there. and then I love how simple it is to you know, just buy your domain through there and then automatically... It, al- it already has all your records. So basically, if I want to link one part of that domain or an address to one of my EC2s, you know, it's so straightforward to do.
0: Yeah. So when it came to setting up that EC2 instance... Do you recall like any decisions you made to pick a specific operating system?
1: I just, you know, I just went with um Ubuntu. I've used Amazon's version of Linux, not that pleased with it. <laughs> it just didn't have, you know, some of the tools that I'm used to having with that, you know, command line and everything. So, yeah, and then just Ubuntu Linux and free tier. That's <laughs> that was basically my decision's going into that.
0: Nice. Yeah, you mentioned you've been kind of developing this for about a year, but it's only been up and running for a little over a month now? Yes. Was it?
1: Yeah, it was a slow development cycle. Like I said, this is my first rodeo with a lot of this stuff. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was a little bit ahead when we deployed. I didn't want to have too much stuff I needed to fix. But looking back on it, I definitely could have deployed earlier. You know, deployment was this whole big process. I was like, I know I'm going to have to do it. But I'll cross that bridge, I guess, when I feel extremely comfortable doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That that's a lesson I learned in the past. It's like you can't just wait until deployment. Like if you're ready to launch Monday and it's Friday, then and you've never deployed anything before, you're kinda in trouble. <laughs> so I, I I kinda like to like you know, I like to deploy my app, get it running on the servers, you know, weeks, maybe even like a month before I actually make it live to real traffic, just to you know, iron out the kinks of like make sure I can deploy things with database migrations and nothing is going down, and you know, I want to be familiar with that
1: system. I was so scared about database migrations, and I really don't know why, but I was just like, I just hope that I don't have all this data sitting in this database, like all actual business data that we need and then push a migration to it and then it just throws everything out of whack, which I haven't had that problem yet, knock on wood. I mean, I've had a few things that I needed to go through, a few conflicts and merge, but Other than that, it's been, you know, a breeze.
0: Oh, 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 don't worry, man. You have plenty of opportunities for uh, things to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So when it came to setting up that server on Ubuntu, did you kind of just like follow along with the tutorial and like manually execute commands or did you look into using some tools to automate that?
1: Just tutorials and, you know, just kind of taking it one step at a time. Before, like, I didn't really Dockerize my app until later in the game, and because, I mean, it just, it was amazing how much faster and better Docker made every bit of this thing go. Like, you know, before, I would kind of have little servers where I would mess around and just, you know, upload my app to the server and kind of see how it would run that way as opposed to on my local machine, and I was just installing requirements and keeping up with all that stuff, and virtual environments and all that. But then once, you know, I kind of figured out Docker. I was like, oh, my God, this is so much easier. And, you know, it's just one command, Docker, compose up, and then you specify which build you want, and then it's up. So basically, you know, all I did was just get my server, download what I needed for my Docker to work, you know, kind of handle permissions, you know, as far as, you know, getting access to the server and everything. But other than that, really not too much more to it.
0: Right, yeah, I'm a huge fan of using Docker. Definitely use it on most of my projects, and uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm on Windows here, but I use the Windows subsystem for Linux. But either way, it's like, yeah, you, you throw your app on GitHub, and su- suddenly anyone can just clone it down and run it on their machine. Or yeah, when like you say, when you're ready to deploy it, it's the same thing. It's like you're not hunting down C dependencies and requirements, attacks, and you know all this other stuff.
1: No, no, it's great. It's hard to beat.
0: But going going back to uh your app here, you know, you kind of mentioned you just followed along with some tutorials to, you know, get the server up and running. Yeah. Have you done any other further research or maybe it's on the horizon to look into ways to like automate some of that stuff? Like run a command and then like your server is just set up?
1: Yes, that is all I've done this week. <laughs> Honestly. It's because I have no CI, you know, continuous integration or continuous deployment pipeline. I have none. My my process was basically just me. Like I said, I would go develop locally, push the changes to... I've got three branches in my GitHub repo, you know, development, staging, and production. And so I would just go develop, push it up, pull it, you know, SSH into my staging server, pull it, rebuild my Docker, and then, you know, do the same thing for production. So, yeah, that's all I've done this week is so, you know, just... I've been uh, testing out GitLab... It works great. I I'm a big fan of GitLab, honestly. Now that I've seen, you know, kind of what it does and what it can offer and as far as, you know, just being able to pull, you know, or merge into my staging repository and then it just goes and rebuilds it on whatever server I need.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. The concept of CI. So when it comes to, you know, things you might do before you even push things to your repo for CI to kick in. Do you run any, any like? Do you have like a local test suite that you run for now? Yeah,
1: or? yeah. I'm using Pytest right now. Love it. Works great. Um, testing is honestly, <laughs> I did not get into testing until later in the game. Honestly, I wish I was. You know, I wish I would have followed the kind of test driven development cycle. But my testing was basically just write this in and then. Test it manually and then go from there, which for beginners and, you know, amateurs like myself, I think that presents a lot of good learning experience and learning um, just opportunities to kind of see how stuff works. But once you're later in the game and you have so many moving parts and you don't know if this next, you know, commit is going to break another part of your app, you know, it's it's definitely not a good situation to be in. So.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you, though. I, I like the idea of just working on a feature, hacking on it, getting it to work. And then after that, I'll start writing tests for it. Because then at that point, it's like, well, if I want to change it in the future, I really need to have the test then. But having them from like the second I write code for a new feature, eh, I can go either way on that. <laughs>
1: exactly. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. But yeah, it's it's definitely a thing that I didn't look into until later. but.
0: Yeah, well, at least you have tests now, and that's what counts. So earlier, you kind of mentioned, or a couple minutes ago, you, you mentioned that uh, you know no CI server. You actually just SSH into your server, you know, build things and and up it there. Does that mean that you're not using any type of Docker registry, like you're not using the ECR service on Amazon? No,
1: that's, again that's a big been a big focus of my week is looking into that. Uh, it's something that I definitely need to start using. But yeah, as of now, I am not. I have not uh, yeah, really gotten my hands dirty with it yet.
0: Right. So maybe on the horizon, looking to do something with CI where it's like, push code to GitLab, your test suite runs. Well, things get built for us, the Docker Compose build. Test suite gets run, if successful, then maybe push it to ECR, and then you can kick off a deploy and pull it down from your server, something like that. Is that like the end game that you're
1: looking yes, for? Yes, 100%. That's exactly what I'm working on now.
0: Right, yeah, that's a pretty cool setup. Once it's all, all going, it can really just simplify things so much.
1: And I was really looking, you know, with all my stuff being just Docker, I was really looking into maybe trying out um, the Elastic Container Service and then just deploying to that. But it's kind of down the road.
0: Right, UCS. Yeah, I've used that one in the past. It's a good service. Yeah. Now, how do you deal with things like secret management at the moment?
1: Right now, all of it is just in an environment file. Honestly, it's not, you know, they're stored on my servers. They're not in my repository uh, on GitHub. So, they're locally on the servers, you know, for staging and production. That's where I keep those at.
0: Okay. So, what does the workflow look like when you need to make a change to that file?
1: Uh, I just, (laughs) honestly, just kind of open it up and, you know, just edit it and then just save it and rebuild my Docker.
0: Right, so SSH in, run some Nano, maybe Vim, yep. and uh, call it a day.
1: Exactly, that's it.
0: Hey, it works. At least it's not sitting there in your Git
1: repo. It's simple. It's a, this whole operation is probably as simple as you can ask for.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to this app, though, you know it's an internal app that you just run for your business at the moment. You have a couple of people using it. I mean, do mostly these people work during normal business hours?
1: Yeah. So yeah, we just use it during the you know course of the business day. But yeah, like it's it's localized for now, but I definitely see, you know, we're definitely not the only, you know, firm that could use something like this. So it's definitely something that could be expanded to any office that operates similarly to ours, which I mean, offhand I know of a you know, a good bit.
0: Right. No, I love the idea of like building it for yourself first and then, you know, figure out what's useful, what's not useful, and then maybe turn it into something that other people can use.
1: Yeah, and it was a great way to scratch my programming itch, you know. I feel like as developers are always looking for a good project to get into, and this one's been a great one.
0: Right, yeah. All it takes is screwing around with an Excel file that's like 80 billion rows and columns to be like, mm, I'm done with that, exactly, time to make my app. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so does your app do anything like send emails out, like anything like that, or no? Yes,
1: yeah, it does. It. Um, So previously, all right, so we would get an email for an order. It would just be a manual email. You know, supervisor would go in there and he would get the order, type the order into his Excel spreadsheet, and then have to send us an email with kind of like the details and the dates and all that. Whereas now the app, you know, when you're going in there and you create an order and then you hit submit, it'll, you know, it's a whole email notification service and it just handles all of, you know, that functionality in the app and I'm using Mailgun for that.
0: Okay. Do you recall why you chose that one over the others?
1: Uh just easy to use, honestly. I looked at Amazon stuff, but Mailgun just seemed like, yeah. you know, I've heard a lot of good things about it and while it's probably what my use for it is, is probably not the most popular use of Mailgun. I know it's, you know, primarily used for, you know, campaigns or newsletters or that sort of thing. You know, it just, it was easy to use with um, the Django. I forget the name of the library off my hand, but it's some library I installed into my app. And then I just, you know, just use my Mailgun credentials, put it into my setup file and work flawlessly.
0: Right. You just pop in your uh, SMTP details and good to go.
1: Exactly. And then, I mean, it allows for me, you know, I love their uh, dashboard to where I can see if emails are failing or somebody's not getting an email. That's what we do. Yep, yeah,
0: Super handy to have. And that's one of the reasons why I do like that service or a couple other, other ones over SES because it's kind of hard to pry into the details of what went wrong with SES.
1: Exactly. And that's my same feelings on it. I looked into it. I was like, I'm using AWS for all this other stuff. Might as well use their email service. But, Upon further review, like I said, you know, Melgun just seems superior.
0: Now, speaking of maybe some other AWS stuff, uh, what do you do for like error reporting and logging and metrics?
1: So so I'm using Sentry right now with Django in production. Uh, Are you familiar with that?
0: Yep. In fact, I think about maybe half the podcast episodes have someone using (laughs) Sentry.
1: yeah. Works good for me. So, you know, mainly my error reporting though is just hearing from my users. You know, it's such a tight-knit group that I can just get instant feedback like, hey, this isn't working or something like that. And they'll, you know, let me know. But yeah, Sentry formally is my error handling system.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a really good one. What about things like monitoring performance or things like that, like metrics and all sorts of machine health? Is that just like out of scope for now?
1: Yeah, out of scope for now. Probably once we expand it, though, you know, out of our office, that's definitely going to be in the forefront. But right now, you know, as long as it gets up and runs for me and I haven't had any you know, significant problems with it, that's that's what I've been doing, which is to say not doing much.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, like you say, your users can always let you know what's wrong at that type of scale. And then uh, there's always CloudWatch on AWS. If you ever wanted to poke around a new area to waste a couple of days looking at new stuff,
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff you could waste a couple of days looking on on AWS, honestly.
0: Yep. And then uh, replays days with years, and we're on track.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, honestly, man, it, isn't it kind of neat, right? It's like, you spend all of this time developing your first project, and then when it comes time to deploy that, it's like you just entered a whole like new galaxy, basically.
1: Oh, I know. It's like, it really is. There's so many tools that make it so much easier, but... Honestly, with deployment, like, coming from my perspective, I think it's easy to get caught up in all the different ways to deploy out there, which, I mean, it's a million different ways I could have gotten this app to deploy. But I think, you know, taking a simple route with just having a server and then running my app on the server, which, I mean, like, I don't think it gets much simpler than that. You know, that's a great starting point. And then, like, I guess I'm in the stage now to where, Once you go from that simple way, you see there's a lot more advanced ways to handle it and, you know, like load balancing and container services and deploying, you know, through, you know, container services like ECS.
0: Yeah, there's no end to that one. Now, you mentioned, though, you have this running on one server, taking advantage of the AWS free tier, which I think is what, yeah, it's that micro instance, right? With like one gig of RAM or something like that? Yes. Is the RDS database also on their free tier?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Okay. I know you're on the free tier, so you're kind of not paying really probably that much, if anything. But, you know, when that runs out, I guess are you going to continue to stick with what you have or kind of look for someplace else? Maybe grow, maybe do uh, anything like that?
1: Yeah, if I can find out ways to cut costs, I definitely will. Like, I think I think with the scale of this app right now, I don't think it should cost too much money to run it, period. But um, I actually broke over the free tier limit last month and I think it cost me like 30 bucks for the whole month to run it I don't know I think there's a lot of fat that can be trimmed though
0: right so it's like you're on the free tier until it's not free basically
1: (laughs) yeah basically so
0: yeah one one area that I know some folks have have said they were like whoa I'm getting charged for all of this is like uh, and we can get into this too it's like how you're planning for disasters and things like that But RDS, if it's configured to make snapshots continuously, then maybe it could potentially just be saving those and you're kind of just paying for storage on that, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's one area I was looking at, actually. RDS was like one of my, I think it broke faster than the AC2 on three tiers.
0: Right. So maybe do you want to get into that a little bit? Like, how do you deal with database backups if you even do that?
1: Yeah, I just let RDS handle it. That's one of the beautiful things about it, you know, just having a, you know, a database management system like that, you know, I feel pretty confident in their ability. I've not, I'm not the biggest SQL administrator at all. You know, I can run some commands and stuff, but as far as keeping my databases backed up and having to handle all that maintenance, I just, you know, take a pretty hands off approach and let them do that for me.
0: Yeah, that's really one of the the biggest benefits of using a cloud provider that has a managed database. Like it's just so nice to get a URL, drop that into your config, and you're kind of off to the races
1: exactly i'm with you 100
0: you're pretty happy with the aws setup overall
1: yeah honestly i mean i there's a like you said there's a different ways to do it i could have gone through a node and then kind of spread it out through a different a couple of different services but having all that information in one place is just is hard to beat in my opinion
0: yeah for sure so we're kind of wrapping up here do you have uh some best tips and lessons learned from building into playing this app
1: keep learning. (laughs) That's my best tip, honestly. Just get it up and running the best way you know how and then go from there. Like, There's a million different ways to deploy, but coming from an amateur, like I said earlier, I think just getting it up and running on another server that people can interact with. I think that's, that's a big step in it. I mean, that's the big first step. And then once you get that going and get all your, you know, your routing and your All that set up, you know, there's a million different ways you can take it from there.
0: Yeah, I know that's really good advice. And it's almost the same for coding, right? If you're just starting out or whatever, it's like, yeah, instead of getting caught up in the hotness, just write some code and uh, you'll get better over time.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like we touched on earlier, React to build an API. I feel like if I would have taken that route, it would have taken me so much longer to accomplish almost the same thing. Like, yeah, I could have written a back end. And then had a separate, you know, React front end and everything. But honestly, you know, the templating engine and Django works fine for me. For like 99% of the stuff I want to do. So
0: Yeah. So maybe if you can think back a little bit, do you recall making any mistakes maybe in your deployment process or development process and you kind of learned from that and like fixed it?
1: Yeah. So, man, so much learning experiences went on with it. Um, honestly, like I said, my biggest regret from my whole development thing is not writing enough tests as I went through because now I'm in the situation to where I know this stuff works, but I need to find a way to test it. Like I need to find a, a way to test my front end and, you know, use selenium for, you know, making sure all my stuff works correctly that way where I already know it does, but I feel like I'm wasting a lot of time going back and writing those tests.
0: Yep. Can't go wrong with having tests. Yeah. <laughs> so Celestin, Thanks a lot for coming on the Running in Production podcast. It was really great having you on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Yep, no problem. So before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that?
1: Yeah, so my GitHub profile is kind of bare, really. I feel like I've got a lot of more stuff in uh, repositories, private repositories. But yeah, if you want to look, find me on there, Av Lewis at GitHub. My website is austinvlewis.com. Definitely, it's in. It's in development for sure but um yeah so if you ever if anybody wants to get in touch with me email austin V. lewis at gmail.com
0: cool and on that note to everyone listening thanks for tuning in and i'll see you in the next one you've been listening to the running in production podcast you can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. also don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show